It's January 1915, and Annette Kellerman, world-renowned swimsuit designer, competitive swimmer, vaudeville performer, and actress, stands at the edge of a jungle pool. Her hands are tied, and in the water below are several crocodiles, their mouths wide open. Suddenly, two men pick her up, one by the shoulders and the other by the feet, and toss her into the water. Against the better judgment of most, Annette had just performed a new stunt in a long list of death-defying exploits. She'd been lucky in the past, but would she be so lucky this time? I'm Kristen, and this is Broadly Underestimated, the podcast dedicated to understanding the underestimated aspects of our lives. Every object, institution, historical event, even the most mundane, has its own revolutionary story. And it's often the underestimated women behind those stories that have shaped life as we know it today. When we left Annette Kellerman at the end of the previous episode of this swimsuit series, she had just revolutionized the world of fashion and aquatics for women. Because of Annette's bold public stance on women's rights to shed layers in order to move more naturally in the water, she became a worldwide phenomenon. In the United States, she'd begun performing at amusement parks, but soon she was vaudeville's biggest rising star. So after amusement park performances, vaudeville was a big but logical step for Annette, given her worldwide fame and ability to consistently draw huge crowds. Vaudeville was a type of theatrical performance that had come out as an alternative to variety performances and burlesque. Variety and burlesque were generally marketed toward working class men and weren't seen as fit for middle class families, especially women and children. So along came vaudeville to entertain that demographic. Vaudeville shows generally hosted a variety of acts, like acrobats, singers, dancers, comedians, bicycle acts, actors, and clowns. And each show would contain maybe about a dozen different acts. So the shows went on for hours. Annette stood out in the world of vaudeville for the level of notoriety she already possessed when she got there, and for the uniqueness of her act. It also didn't hurt that she showed a lot of skin in her performances. Although vaudeville was billeted as a family-friendly environment, the best-paid performers tended to be women. I mean, yay, but those best-paid women tended to be those who showed a lot of skin. Annette's debut performance was on November 5, 1908, and it was an instant success. Reportedly, the tank of water she used for this act could hold 25,000 gallons of water. Now, during her performance, she dove and showed off her grace in the water. Remember that at this time, expert swimming skills were a novelty. So to see a woman diving off high platforms, gliding through the water, and holding her breath for long periods of time would have been a marvel. She remained the headline attraction at that theater for seven consecutive weeks. Annette worked the vaudeville circuit for years, and as her fame continued to build, she began to take on another role as a sort of health and fitness advocate. Again, this doesn't sound so revolutionary to us in an age when we're constantly bombarded with information and promotions about diets, exercise, and wellness. But for a woman to be pushing vigorous exercise as an integral part of a woman's health was yet another novelty that Annette brought to the table. Back when Annette arrived in Boston in 1908, a Harvard professor who had supposedly inspected the bodies of thousands of women declared Annette to be the perfect woman. According to this professor, the body of the Venus de Milo statue, though armless and without really visible legs, was the picture of the perfect female figure. 
Now, acknowledging how not great it is to try to whittle down all types of beauty into one specific type and call it perfection is clearly an issue. And the fact that a dude is dictating what the perfect woman is and basing it on the figure of a woman as depicted by another man is clearly problematic at best. However, in his opinion, Annette's figure best matched Venus to Milo's, and to look on the bright side, instead of this guy defining female beauty as weakness, he defined it as strength. Annette's muscular, athletic body was the new standard of beauty, and women reached out to her in droves with questions about how she built and maintained such a strong, beautiful figure. Annette was convinced that her active, healthy lifestyle was the answer to good health. She was a near-vegetarian, only seldom eating chicken, and she never drank alcohol. She approached exercise like it was the fountain of youth, and for her, it kind of was. She would stay active and swimming until the very end of her long life. Out of pride for her lifestyle and in response to the influx of questions she received from fans, Annette started writing about her approach to diet and exercise and lecturing to auditoriums full of women. Lecturing was yet another act that Annette perfected, and in her discussions, she did one of my favorite things. She prompted women to question the clothes they're wearing. She especially condemned the corset for hindering women's abilities to move and breathe, and in some lectures, she would even take off the gown she came in to reveal nothing but her swimsuit underneath, which displayed her daring level of comfort with moving around the world without a corset on. Her audiences of women were shocked and enthralled. In her lectures, Annette also shared advice on diet and exercise, talking about the connection between a healthy body and a healthy mind. Remember that this period was rife with the idea that physical activity could actually be detrimental to a woman's health, and especially her reproductive health. So a strong, vibrant woman encouraging other women to get out and move for the sake of their health was truly a revolutionary thing to do. Something I also love about Annette's message was that she took things a step further to show how intimately connected a woman's well-being and strength are to her freedom and happiness in other areas of her life. She talked about how physical strength makes her wake up ready to tackle the world, and let's face it, the power imbalance between men and women at that time was so pervasive. Women lacked financial, professional, and physical control over their lives, and a woman's lack of physical strength, assertiveness, and vitality only further cultivated an environment where she lacked control. Annette also touched on the discrepancies between what marriage meant for men and women when she wrote, Quote, love, we are told, is an incident to a man, but the great fundamental fact of a woman's existence. But should a woman once married try to keep her body beautiful, she is accused of seeking further loves, unquote. So at a time when a woman's sole job was to find a husband and then raise a family, Annette calls out this system of a woman being defined by her relationships with men instead of her being defined by her own dreams and actions. Annette must have seemed like a unicorn to these women. She was provocative, full of life, and unapologetic. She would eventually marry a caring man who supported her career instead of the other way around. Jimmy had been her manager since soon after her arrival in the United States, and he was a steady, supportive partner for the rest of their lives. And she wasn't strapped down by any of the traditional restraints on women like lack of money, restrictive clothing, or social restrictions imposed by her husband. Her lectures, booklets, and books instructed women on how to swim, diets, grooming, and clothing, and they sold very well. 
Her work advocating for health and fitness took her on a lecture circuit to one packed auditorium after another, and she would eventually design a line of comfortable, simple clothing that was sold all over the world. She was ahead of her time, and she paved the way for an entire generation of women to learn to swim. So Annette's career was on a steady train of development, and the next step was film. Between 1914 and 1920, she made four feature films. She typically played a mermaid or at the very least a swimmer. But what was awesome was that in all of these movies, she wasn't the damsel in distress. She was the hero and she fought the villains herself. Now, Annette would find that one of the biggest challenges of her performance and film career was to protect herself from the dangers of her own stunts. On the set of a 1914 film called Neptune's Daughter, Annette had two consecutive accidents. The first took place when the production team was unable to find a trained male stuntman to do a diving stunt with Annette. Famously, Annette did all of her own stunts, no matter how dangerous. The scene called for Annette and her male adversary to fall off a cliff into a pool of water and then fight underwater, which would be filmed through a glass water tank. When Annette and her male counterpart jumped off the cliff, they bonked heads, and when Annette surfaced, she was unconscious. She recovered soon after and bounced back to show up on set the very next day. But things got really dicey when they filmed the underwater fight scene. The glass tank they used was about 16 square feet, and the glass itself was about three-fourths of an inch thick. Now, to put this into perspective, Annette had requested that the glass be one and a half inches thick, so the glass was half the thickness that it should have been. The tank was filled with 5,000 gallons of water, along with a bunch of fish and a large turtle. So to safely hold all of that water and to withstand the sloshing the water fight scene would produce, three-fourths of an inch thick glass was not advisable. But to refuse to get into the pool now would halt production indefinitely. Before getting into the water, Annette was nervous, and when it was time to start filming, Annette and her co-star stepped slowly into the tank. But when nothing abnormal happened, they started to get more comfortable and filmed their scenes. Once they had successfully filmed those scenes, Annette's husband Jimmy insisted that they get out of the tank, but Annette insisted that they get a better take. But as soon as they took a deep breath and slipped under the water, the tank burst, and the water raged through the broken glass, carrying the actors with it. Somehow, Annette remained calm. She rolled up into a ball and let the water just take her, but her co-star resisted. When the dust settled, both of them were terribly cut. Annette's co-star was in very bad shape. It seems like his resisting the water pushing him out of the tank made things worse. In one of her books, Annette said that he looked as if someone had chopped him all over with a hatchet. He was slashed around his face and neck and also had an enormous deep cut from his shoulder to his wrist. In the end, he had to get 46 stitches and stayed in the hospital for five weeks. On the other hand, Annette had fewer cuts, but her right leg and foot were sliced open. The gash on her foot was so close to the bone that it actually couldn't be stitched, so she had to stay in the hospital for six weeks just to allow it to heal. But as soon as they were both recovered, she and her co-star returned to the set to complete filming the movie. Neptune's Daughter was a complete success, and the movie studios had so much faith in Annette that they upped the ante for her next film, A Daughter of the Gods. With an estimated $1 million budget, it was the most expensive film that had ever been made. It was on this mammoth film set that Annette was thrown into a pool with wild crocodiles. 
Initially, the filmmakers intended for a dummy to be thrown into the water in Annette's place, but Annette wouldn't have it. She had that reputation for doing all of her own stunts and wouldn't let some crocodile stop her, though she was terrified. The crocodiles were fed very well and led into the pool. Annette and the other two actors in the scene stood at the edge. Then, the actors tossed her into the water, feet first and hands tied. As soon as she hit the water, she untied her hands and swam for her life to the edge. Somehow, she got out of that situation unscathed. On top of this completely insane stunt, Annette did even more to shock her audiences in this film. It was no secret that Annette loved her body and that she leaned into being known as a provocative performer. So, ever the provocateur, Annette took this image to a whole new level when, in a scene of A Daughter of the Gods, she appeared nude. Now, she had some very strategically placed long hair, so the essential pieces were mostly covered, but the image and its implication were huge. This is believed to be film's first full frontal nudity scene by a leading actor. Annette was obviously proud of her body, and it would appear that she was eager to encourage others to see the physical body as something to be exhibited and embraced instead of covered and restrained. But Annette's most harrowing experience was still yet to come. In 1916, she decided to implement a new feature in her vaudeville act, tightrope walking. As if all the other stunts she did and her performances weren't enough, she had to add in a completely new skill. But the fact of the matter was that to stay on top of a vaudeville career for as many years as she did, a performer would have to constantly refresh their act. So in the spirit of keeping things fresh, but also owing to Annette's craving for a good rush, she dedicated herself to tightrope walking and eventually mastered it. So when she signed on to her next film, Queen of the Sea, the script required Annette to escape from a tower by not just diving, but first by walking a tightrope high above a turbulent sea. For six months, Annette practiced walking a 100-foot-long tightrope from one wing of the stage to another. The length of the rope made the walk more challenging because it would tilt and dip as she crossed. Different from the short tightrope she'd walked in the past, she had to learn to adapt to the movements of this long rope. So when it came time to actually practice the scene in Bar Harbor, Maine, the rope was strung between two old lighthouses and was not the 100 feet long that she had practiced. It was 150 feet long. And it was 60 to 70 feet in the air. So no matter what they tried, they couldn't keep this rope tense. And on top of that, it was windy. But Annette being Annette, she hopped on the rope anyway. To make matters worse, for about the first 15 feet of the walk, the water was shallow with sharp rocks just three feet below the surface. So the key here was clearly just not to fall because there were no other safety measures and if she did fall, things just clearly weren't going to go very well. Annette used so much strength in her legs to control the wire that her legs and calves hurt as she walked. But as always, Annette came through. Despite the wind, the loose rope, and what quite frankly had to be sheer terror, she completed the walk and dove beautifully into the water at the end. But believe it or not, the tightrope incident was not her most harrowing experience of this film. While training alone one day for the extensive riding scenes that the film required, Annette was bucked off of a horse and landed on a large rock. The rock hit her spine and she was knocked out. Jimmy later found her alone and unconscious. The doctor said Annette would never walk again. 
Jimmy was distraught and Annette stopped eating. She was consumed by the thought that she would never swim again. But at the end of the day, Annette's life and career had been defined by doing the things that people said she couldn't do. As a child, she had weak legs, but she became the strongest female swimmer in the world. Women didn't dive, but she did it anyway. She was told she couldn't wear her swimsuit, but she found a way to do that as well. Telling Annette she couldn't do something was really just the fire that motivated her. So Annette decided she would walk again, but she didn't tell Jimmy. She began asking for lots of healthy food that she knew would strengthen her and asked a nurse to help her get to the edge of the bed to sit up. According to Annette, this was pure agony, but she insisted that the nurse time her to sit up for three minutes. For three minutes, Annette fought against fainting. Next, the nurse helped her to walk across the room and back to the bed. The pain was terrible, but Annette insisted that she walk to Jimmy next. She walked painstakingly down the hall until she arrived at the head of the staircase. Jimmy was below and looked like he saw a ghost when he saw Annette standing there. She insisted on going down the stairs herself, but almost fell from the exertion as she reached the bottom. This effort kept her in bed for quite some time, but she had proven that she would in fact walk again. But the journey to recovery was long. Annette created her own physical therapy routine, implementing some of the stretches and movements she'd learned in ballet. At first, she was only able to lift her leg six inches off the ground. But after a year, she was swimming and diving again. At that point, Annette returned to the set of Queen of the Sea and to her death-defying stunts. Annette continued performing for years to come, and she lent her celebrity to many causes. But by the end of World War II, taste and entertainment had shifted entirely, and so Annette and Jimmy traveled and transitioned into a quieter life. Among the younger generation, Annette was not so recognized until a new film would change everything. So fast forward to 1952. A glamorous swimmer wearing a crown and gold sequin bodysuit rises out of a pool on what appears to be a burst of water. She's smiling from ear to ear. Her suit glistens as water shoots and bubbles up all around her. She waves her arms gracefully as her water pedestal raises her higher and higher. When she rests at what looks like a height of about 15 to 20 feet in the air, she leans forward effortlessly and jumps off the platform, plunging headfirst toward the water below. This wasn't Annette Kellerman. It was Esther Williams, who was a previously aspiring Olympic swimmer and a current Hollywood actress, who was playing Annette Kellerman in the biopic film about Annette's life called Million Dollar Mermaid. By the time the film was made, new generations weren't aware of Annette's film career and her massive social impact, so the film introduced Annette to a new generation of viewers, and most importantly, to girls. But Annette didn't really like the film. The movie followed her life in a very general sense. So, an Australian woman suffers from health issues as a child, learns to swim to get stronger, then grows up to both dazzle the world with her impressive swimming and diving skills and shock and dismay with her revealing swimsuit. But the way the film portrayed Jimmy wasn't exactly favorable, and the script described a much less confident and less driven Annette than the real woman actually was. In all, it was first a work of showmanship and impressive swimming performances, and second, a story that took some inspiration from a famous swimmer's life. But true to life or not, the film did do something important. Tragically, most of Annette's films have been lost. 
They were filmed on celluloid, which tends to disintegrate over time. But Million Dollar Mermaid, though not exactly faithful to her true story, has at least preserved the idea of Annette on film for generations to come. In Annette's retirement on the Gold Coast of Australia, she continued to swim every single day. Into her 80s, she was flexible and agile, doing physical culture exercises and swimming at a local pool. And she was inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame. When Jimmy passed away in 1972, they had been married for more than 60 years. And Annette passed away in 1975 at the age of 89. Now, there's no doubt that Annette Kellerman's life was extraordinary. From the beginning, Annette was different, first defined by what she wasn't able to do, and then defined by the incredible things that she could do. The level of fame she achieved was as much to do with her daring, skilled performances as it was to do with Annette herself, a woman who faced fears and limitations head on. But Annette's legacy outlived her fame. Her decisive victory over those horrible swimming costumes made the world a better place. And what we see live on is her example of strength and individuality and her determination to empower other women to take control of their own physical and mental well-being. And we see this live on in the generations of women who are now able to swim because Annette Kellerman encouraged their grandmothers and great-grandmothers to swim themselves. So whenever you slip on a swimsuit, remember that there was once an extraordinary woman who defended your right to swim. And now it's time for a segment I call The Stacks. Doing research is one of my favorite things to do. The more you learn, the more the puzzle pieces of the world start to come together. So I want to take you into the stacks of the library with me to share favorites of the books, documentaries, movies, interviews that I think you would enjoy if you want to learn more about this topic. While investigating Annette Kellerman's life, I came across an award-winning documentary called The Original Mermaid. This documentary told the story of Annette's life, and my favorite thing about it was the incredible amount of archival footage it included of her dives, swims, and surviving clips of her films. Annette really came to life for me when I watched this documentary. I'd read so much about her, but seeing her in action brought my sense of her to a new level. So if you want to see Annette, experience some of her stunts, and get a real sense of the incredible woman she was, I highly recommend watching The Original Mermaid. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Broadly Underestimated.